Um, yeah, yeah. I will. Then, I will add one more thing before you jump on. Yeah, move on. I'll jump in. Um, you know, when it comes to, to secondary deposits, this is a something that I try to you know coach my clients through. Is that it's something that you should be willing to do if you need additional time or if you need some sort of concession, because everybody thinks of a deposit as this kind of security, right? This down payment type of thing on the right to get into the contract, but you can use deposits in in a strategic way. You know, sometimes you got a two week contingency period and you got a 3% deposit and you say, okay, give me another two weeks and I'll add, you know, another percent or 2%. And now you've got a little more skin in the game and the seller is saying, okay, well, if you need two more weeks then I'll wait two more weeks, you know, that it's a trade-off and you still right. have to pull yeah. it back. You know, but you got to be careful that you do keep your dates tight. You know, keep them calendared. Make sure you don't miss your removal dates. Make sure you don't default on your obligations. The last thing you want is <laughs> to get booted from a deal and lose. You know, yeah. I mean, a little little hint there for everybody: just set up a Google Calendar for your entire real estate transaction. Forty-eight hour notices beforehand. We do it on all our deals. It's just you got to. Right. And like all day events, <laughs> you know, make it monstrous. Um, all right. Well, going on there, uh, all cash offer, very simple, you know, all cash offer. Getting results from the web about all cash offers. Um, then you're going to put down about your mortgage. Now, if you're doing a conventional mortgage, all you're doing is putting in the dollar amount. But if you're doing an FHA, VA, Seller financing, assumable financing, or the invis- or the you know, or other whatever that is, uh, you got to put it in there, and then you put in the specifics about the rate. Uh, if it's an adjustable rate, it's not to exceed X. Now, sometimes I use that loan shall not exceed X to comfort a seller, um, or sometimes, and most of the time, we just leave it blank so that the buyer's got to. Um, <laughs> the buyer's got to take the responsibility for the rate. So in this market, doesn't really matter. There's some stuff about second mortgages, FHA loans. It's pretty simple, balance of money, and all the numbers come out. And then we go to the second page, and these are the other important ones you got to know about. You're going to give, and you should, the verification of your deposit monies, of your down payment, and attach it to your agreement. Just click on that. Just do it that way. Don't say you'll have it in three days. You got to decide if you care about an appraisal contingency or not. We can do an entire podcast on appraisal contingency waivers. Put that one down, Misty, for a future episode. We'll even bring in an appraiser. I got one, too. Perfect. Uh, Loan terms. When you make your loan application, that's when you give the lender the physical agreement of sale that's done, ready to go, and you're ready to start rocking and rolling, and they start their engines with something called a LE, which is a money estimate. So the loan contingency, how long is it, Is or if there's none, the limit, lender limits of buyer credits, check with your lenders. I'll just say that. Buyer stated financing. Okay, this is kind of important. You, you got to go ahead with the type of financing that you're going to do. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to do a conventional loan, then decide to do a, a VA loan. So it kind of meets that. Um, 
Then we get into these addendums. This is exciting stuff. And uh, Eli, we, uh, we won't talk about the septic ones, but um, there is one about uh, the sale of a property. So if somebody's buying a property, but it's contingent on selling their house, you got to check this off and that we won't go into the whole thing about that. Talk to your agent. Um, other crazy stuff. Backup offer addendum, if this is a backup offer, a short sale, you probably don't see much of those. Court confirmation addendums, um, probate stuff, trust stuff, short sale, buyer inspection, one by one on some of these. <laughs> I know, Misty's falling asleep. Okay, this is, a bo- this is the boring stuff. We'll get to the meat where we really get into using Eli. I'm just blowing Our, our podcast stuff. is usually 15 minutes, and I no, really no, want to hear from Eli. Okay. It's a multi-parter, that's all. Let's hear from Eli, too. Yeah, I know, but I'm ramming through. There's nothing he can really add to this part. But anyway. Uh, okay, yeah, hey, Eli, under number six, other terms. Technically, a real estate agent of any kind isn't really supposed to write out, you know, legal stuff. But what should people look out for or what should people put in here? Is there anything you can advise? You know, what I can advise is that you should <laughs> you should talk to your attorney um, before submitting any of these agreements. Um, Ideally, you have someone just just even put eyes on it for you know fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, um, just to make sure that there's nothing in there that is either not quite representing what you intend to represent, or perhaps giving away more than you want to, or or just stating something other than what you have agreed to. So that um, number six is an important number addendum to check out. Yeah, number six is the sort of thing that you you really shouldn't use it. Um, if you're going to use number six, you usually will just want to say C addendum. And then okay, cause I'll tell you what I throw in there. <laughs> just maybe I'm doing it wrong. Um, whenever I have a deal where we're waiving everything because everything's done, inspections are done, we're going to waive the, our, we got a super pre-approval. We're not worried. We're waiving the appraisal. But I put in there that the seller agrees to allow the appraiser access to the property. Should I be putting it there or somewhere else? Well, you know, I mean, I don't even know if it ha- if it needs to be included because it's kind of implied by contract if you've got an appraisal contingency. No, I don't. I've waived everything. Oh, if you've waived everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, see, mm-hmm. don't, just don't listen. Yeah, I waived everything, dude. You know, that's what, well, that's what we got to do to get deals yeah. nowadays. My internet is, sorry, my internet might be a little... Yeah, you have the backwards internet, I think. It's you know, it's ten dollars cheaper. Yeah, right. Yeah, you hear uh, different things. Can you imagine I mean, you pay less you pay less to sure. get all the words correct. <laughs> Give me a favor, repeat that for me so I can make sure I have this right. Because I I think you are breaking up. Hold on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we can hear you. I'm my computer's like slowing down and uh getting loud. Anyway, let's try that again. Give me that question. <laughs> yeah. Take two. So we're talking about number six and what I put in there when I have a situation where I've waived 
absolutely everything. Loan, appraisal, inspections, everything, because that's the way you got to do it nowadays. Uh, but I do put in there that seller agrees to allow access to buyer's appraiser. Yeah, I would do it differently. I would uh, I would actually add an addendum that states that notwithstanding the removal of contingencies and following the removal of contingencies through the closing date, the buyer will, uh, sorry, the seller oh. will reasonably cooperate with the buyer and the buyer's agents in all respects. That's what I would write. I wouldn't even limit it to the appraiser. Who knows? If the buyer needs something else, Needs to access interesting. Uh, very, like that. I've never tried that. That might, scare, that might scare some sellers, though. So good. Well, no, because if you removed contingencies, you're just securing their cooperation. You're not doing anything. You're not changing anything, right? You're saying, yeah, following the removal of contingencies, right, through the closing date, the seller shall reasonably cooperate. That's all. It just means that they can't say, "Well, you remove contingencies, but you can't come in." That's brilliant, dude. See, and it's I, recorded. I know, yeah. I know, and it's transcribed too. Freely, free oh, dude, we did. <laughs> thank you very much. I guess you should send us a bill, but <laughs> but no, that's that's great. That's great. Um, all right, going past number, we could spend hours on number six, but going on number seven, the inspections. Now, the first. Inspection thing deals with natural hazard zone disclosure report, which every listing agent orders when they list the property. And that is the listing agent's thing to do. Um, The next two lines, two and three, they kind of put it in there as blank. You can kind of put anything in there. Uh, I leave it blank because I don't know of anything. Even if my buyers are going to do an inspection, I don't know who they're going to use. So leave it blank. The next thing has to do, and I, I'd like you to chime in on these, the government requirements that number one, number two, and what's filled out and why and who that and all that stuff, Eli. So, oh God, it's doing it again. Hold on. You got where we are? One and number two of which one? Number one and we're, number two. We're down to 7B, government requirements and retrofit. Okay, so those yes, yeah, so those are required either by state law, by county law, or by uh, municipal codes from time to time. This is a statewide form, so they try to keep it broad. Uh, for example, there is uh, some laws. There are some laws, rather, in California that require you to perform certain retrofits. I know Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles, uh, where I'm located in Santa Monica, California, but the city of LA has. Uh, what they call a 9A report. And this requires that every uh, property that's being sold be inspected for compliance with these requirements, you know, low flush toilets and efficiency. And uh, I think for lighting for certain, in certain respects, uh, carbon monoxide detectors and earthquake, uh, earthquake safe uh, gas tanks and, and mains and valves and all these sorts of things. And this is the sort of stuff that, unfortunately, um, it's a little bit of a pain, especially when you're buying an older house uh, where you might have to bring them into compliance. But there's also a lot of companies out there, these contractors that do this work fairly inexpensively and fairly rapidly. You know, they come in and they and they already kind of know what they're doing. So they go in there and they and they make the changes. You get your 9A signed off. Um, 
And it's typically not a problem, but it's just something to be aware of. And usually I check these off as seller doing them. You know, we never deal with it. it. And, and, but I'll get, I'll get some agents who will freak out about two, uh, two, two that I put the seller. They they completely freak out about that. Oh, I don't know about anything. Blah blah blah. That's fine. I waive it, but you know, just leave it blank. And then no, yeah. then I have a paper trail that we asked the seller. They freaked out. The agent freaked out. And so if there's a problem, hey, they were trying to hide it. Anyway, I moving it's on. Nego- I think it's negotiable if you've got a seller that's giving you a pretty good price. Yeah, you know, if you're getting a nice enough discount from market, I think. Um, I think it's reasonable to say, put that on the buyer. But then again, if you're over asking, (laughs) you might want to say, come on, do me a little kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the residential deals, everybody puts the seller. There's just a little bit. The seller's got to do for their, for their money. It's, it's no big deal. (laughs) Put some carbon dioxide uh, things are 69 bucks. Okay, guy. All right. So title, and it depends literally what County you're buying as to who pays what for title insurance for, escrow fees for uh, county, city transfer taxes. So we're not going to even go there. But we actually have a website that you can go to for the state of California that breaks down all that. And that'll be in the show notes. So we'll make sure to do that. Also a plug for Ariva's website right about now. You can always go to Ariva.com at any time. You can learn about buying, selling, mortgage, flat fee. And I would love at some point to hear Eli's opinion of your flat fee model and how great that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it, actually. I like the idea of bringing down the cost of selling homes and also, the, the frankly, the incentive to uh, brokers and agents to screw their own clients over. How's that? <laughs> That's I don't want to, in a lot of ways when you've got, I, I understand as somebody who, who has sold and tries to sell real estate, I get it. You know, I want to get a nice check if I'm helping somebody close an expensive or, or, or pretty highly priced transaction. But the average transaction isn't going to be a nightmare deal. It's not going to be super complicated. And well, hopefully. And it's not going to be worth 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 or $100 million. Right. And that being the case, I think that there's a lot of value that can be unlocked for anybody who's looking to list their home, especially if they're moving from, you know, one of the cities to a smaller, you know, smaller uh, town elsewhere in the country. If you're in a major city and you want to get the hell out, a lot of people, I mean, I'm a Californian. I, I kind of love California. It's my home, but there's a lot of reasons to leave. <laughs> some people, <laughs> some people have already left. Some people are talking about leaving. You know, I, I, I some you know, people are moving interstate, interstate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some people are doing that too. They're moving from you know L.A. or, or San Francisco area to you know smaller towns, Central California. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people are moving. Not a lot. I don't want to say that, but a number of people I've spoken to are moving from L.A. to Riverside. Oh, okay. It's an hour away. Right. You can always pop in, you know, see your family, see your friends, whatever it is that you want to do. Riverside County, you mean? Not- Riverside County. Yeah, okay. It's, you know, it's right there. It's not It's not so far away. And uh, your cost of... down the 110? That is down the... Uh, there's a few ways to get there. 
Yeah, it's in the southeast. And, right. Desert. Uh, yeah, it's in the desert. It's like, you know what it is? It's perfect. It's right by Big Bear. It's just at the bottom of the hill. It's right by um, the desert. It's right by snowboarding. It is in the home, homes are affordable. They're reasonably affordable. Different weather. Suburban. But I, people, I really think there's a big percentage of people who will uh, – I use this example to everybody. It's like San Francisco is coming back. I laugh when I hear all this, oh, San Francisco, rent's coming down. Yeah, the rents came down. Okay. But these people who left, part of them went to Boise, Idaho, and they just spent a winter there. And they're going to see in March – you know, that it looks nice in San Francisco again while they're still sh- shivering. Eventually, they're going to say, when this is all over, COVID's over, I'm coming back because this is ridiculous. This was fun for a while, but I'm out of here. And then there's this big contingent of people who, like, couldn't ever afford San Francisco who can now afford it. So guess what? It's coming back. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Know. I don't know how how much of a of an appetite people are going to have to come back to the big cities if they've already left. I think they might relocate to a sunnier small town. Well, and especially if they purchased a, you know, 2,200 square foot home for 684,000 and they could never own here in California, they're they're going to make it through that winter. There you go. Or, you know, now we're back to Vegas being a hotspot. You've been there, Eli. You've, have you invested there? We I know we talked about Vegas. You know, we talked about it. I I'm still on the fence about making an investment. I've got you know I've got some ideas. Uh, one of the things that I've been looking at is really trying to find a a growth trajectory. And Vegas is a place that has one. Obviously, it's become less of a transient market and more of an established market as people yeah. have moved there. There's like a mini tech boom. Um, you know, yeah, they've got, got a couple of professional home, sports like, teams yeah. and, and sports yeah. teams. Yeah. Sports teams don't usually, usually want to locate to themselves to a, you know, a city that doesn't have a pretty decent now. base. Yeah. And yeah. They might have basketball and baseball soon. You know, there, there is some uh, value or some opportunity, but I'm, and I want your thoughts on this. I'm just skeptical that after the COVID-19 stuff is all hopefully soon, done um there's going to be some some difficulties with the uh, you know with all with respect to all the foreclosures and the and the bankruptcies that yeah, haven't yeah. happened this goes back to my youtube video that i did in march that said yeah. you got to be out of your freaking mind to buy so i know that's going to come true it's just a question of when and not only where are the jobs going to come back what are the jobs going to be what are the jobs that actually need people to be somewhere? Vegas will be that. They're not going to have robots uh, dealing carts. Yeah. yeah. And they've been really hit, hard hit by the pandemic. Yeah. And well, they you know, they have the highest rise. unemployment rate is yeah. in Vegas right now. But it might be, you know, uh, Eli does something there. I mean, we're talking about uh, Austin beforehand. I know we're off the rails, and this is a completely separate podcast. But it's like Austin is something else, man. Austin I is love it. everything bubble. This is a, this is what I firmly believe. As somebody who's invested in stocks and real estate and precious metals and Bitcoin and all this, 
there's an everything bubble. And the question is, what's going to pop it and how bad is it going to be? Like that's, in my opinion, you can't have super low interest rates and then have a worsening economic state, right? They, they, when COVID happened, the Fed turned up and said, okay, we're going to slash rates. We're going to blow, you know, blow these money bazookas all over everybody and just shower every, we're going to make credit cheap. All these crappy companies that were self-serving and not, you know, not doing anything to prepare themselves for any sort of economic or, or, or downside, you know, any, any sort of shock to the system or the economy. Now they're all going to continue to survive. They're going to stay safe. And then, you know, we'll do this. We'll, we'll kind of send people a couple hundred bucks here and there. And, you know, the, the little people will figure it out. And then right. we won't let them get evicted for a while. But eventually they are going to get evicted. And eventually they are going to get foreclosed. And eventually they are going to have to pay off all their debts. And that's going to be a cascade mm-hmm. of delinquencies and foreclosures and repossessions. And I just don't see any way around that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see how that, you know, the, those people, even if they all get gainfully employed again in the next six months, they're still going to be nine, 10 months behind on everything. They're 10 months behind. Yeah. I have a buddy who lives, he bought a house in Koreatown a year and a, a year and a half ago. He has, he got laid off. He's been not paying his mortgage. Now he, he's got savings, fortunately, but he's not been paying his mortgage. He's been on forbearance. Now he's got savings. I'm willing to wager a bet that most people who are on forbearance right now do not have enough savings to start paying in full. Right. Everything that's due. Oh, they, yeah, but they did the forbearances where they're going to add it to the back end. But that, so. that's my point, though, is that they're not going to they're not going to necessarily be able to make those payments if they don't right. have their. But they, but they already know that it's already built into the system. That's and they the know problem. they're just going to get it at the, at the back end. So that really helps just say, okay, just keep making money and let's start again. You'll just pay it later. It's like it's like a negative amortization loan that's forced upon them. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's worse than that because what it really is, well, you know more about this than I do, but if there's anything I've learned from uh, you know studying a little bit about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it's really about shifting the risk of, bad credit and and underperforming loans to taxpayers. That's really what it is. Yeah, I mean they 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 there's a half a point on every single refinance now. Yeah. It and they call it some, you know, adjustment fee. Bullshit, it goes right to the US Treasury. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I I'm really surprised there's not a national sales tax on real estate. That would be the next thing. Just because real estate is regulated by each state doesn't mean the national, we can't, you know, you have a, a quarter of a point national sales tax in real estate. Every piece of real estate that sells or leased for 30 years, 20 years or more, boom, automatic quarter point. Simple. And the sellers have plenty of money because their equity went up. Doing, they did nothing. And their equity went up. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would prefer to see, I would, I would prefer to see a, uh, you know, like a, government option for mortgages the way we have a government option for healthcare that people talk about you know they always like you have medicare you have medical you have all these things and let the private lenders lend the bigger sums of money let them be the right. let them, Thanks let them for doing that. risks 
it, it, the banks have taken over the jumbo business, and that's fine. And they're taking the risk, and they're coming up with their securities. And there's some others, other securities that do some wholesales. Uh, I haven't seen they're not they're not back yet, really, in any big form. There's some kind of uh, paper, but you got to go through craziness to get it, and it's not that good. Um, but it's a different story. But it, it, the mortgages, it, it's not even the problem, you know. And now we got somebody coming into the CFPB who knows what he's doing. Um, and you know, it's it's it. it I, I think mortgages are going to actually going to be fine, <laughs> to be honest with you. And so, I'll cheap money is cheap money, and oh, we're on for years. Okay, we we got a minute forty eight to go in this. So let's keep talking the economics, and then we can start back on this section. We'll start back on section. Well, actually, I think this is a good break point for me. I've I've got a. I've got to call it six. Okay. <laughs> a good break All right. Well, this, is, this is part one of the agreement of sale, I guess. And yeah, the economics. Can, is, I don't know what the hell we're doing, but. We can pick. Part one of the Eli adventure. Thank you so Eli. much. Oh, man. Hide your heart. Go. We need to put that as the music, though. Okay. No, no. It's too corny. I know. <laughs> Perfect. Give me, give me something thuggish. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm badass lawyer, motherfucker. Contract, motherfucker. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, Eli, you will be happy to know this. I finally figured something out that was so confusing for me for years, but I finally, finally got it. I heard on Howard Stern, Snoop Dogg was smoking these joints, and he said it was forty-six percent THC. It's like, what the fuck is he growing? Yeah, well, only Snoop Dogg can smoke 46% THC in through. <laughs> Wait. Tell it because people will buy. Med Men, and I know you have Med Men down in LA, has something called Moon Rock. What the hell is that? Get yourself some Moon Rock. Google it, kids. Okay. Okay, that's all I can say. I was going to say it sounds scary, but also interesting. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Thank you for listening to Ariva. We fix real estate. Go to Ariva.com to find out more.